This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness. Personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Yeah, that's true. You have to get the oldest goalkeeper in the world to teach him. It's just a 17 year old teaching him how to vape. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Game Time Podcast. Me, Tim and Tom on this one for you with a breakdown of all of the goodies that happened in the Premier League at the weekend. And let's start with the best of goodies. Christmas came early for some fans. Manchester City's unbeaten run is done and dusted. Tim, how are you doing and and how are you feeling after this weekend? I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Um, It's just the best thing. Having come off defeat to Spurs and a defeat to Wolves like just oh, I was so so excited watching that game it was just incredible happiness feeling uh for Tim before we get into that Tom how you doing I'm good mate yeah I'm good not bad you're are you as happy as Tim uh, I would say probably not um <laughs> but yeah I'm still I'm still relatively happy but that seems to be a, almost ecstasy <laughs> well We've talked a lot over the last few weeks that Manchester City's team looked almost unbeatable. I think we even said they probably were going to be, maybe if they didn't go the whole season unbeaten, they'd be the last of the unbeaten teams to blink. But it's not the case. Tim, how did Chelsea do it? I mean, first off, I'm going to just preface this. We've got a little bit lucky. Um, <laughs> the first, the first, well, to be honest, most of the first half, we probably should have been trailing. Um if only for the fact that we were incredible at doing like last minute blocks uh, and Leroy Sane really didn't have the best game. But like in terms of the second half and just sheer determination, it was such a good performance from Chelsea. And I feel really happy saying that because, yeah, we lost to Wolves, we lost to Spurs. Not great of the last sort of couple of weeks, but to, you know, to play like that against probably most people's best team in the league and most people's opinion was just... Oh, it was so good. And I know you've given him a hard time recently. David Luiz scored. What, what did you rate his performance against possibly the best attack in the league? Though saying that, there were quite a few players rested. 10. He was 10 out of 10. He was brilliant. Like everything that I've said about David Luiz, admittedly has, I believe has been justified. But in this game, he showed none of it. Like he was great defensively. He was a great leader. He showed why he's in the team because of his passing. Like... The pass to Pedro that set up the first goal, which was like 70 metres cross field, was ridiculous. Uh, and then he went and scored the second uh, with a really great header from the corner. So, uh, he, like, he's, he just showed everything that is good about David Luiz. Which, which doesn't happen often. No. Tom, <laughs> Tom how, how did you see that game? Did you think it was going to be as easy as it was in the end for, for Chelsea to get two goals from basically two attacks, was it, Tim? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it literally was. It was the, the first attack for the first goal around the corner. So, um, I, before, I mean, before Chelsea scored, it, it, it was definitely, I thought, one-way traffic. Um, 
Uh, and I don't know, I don't know if you, how you watched the game, but I watched it on um, BT Sport. And I don't know if you saw Steve McManaman predict the future. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I, I did not know. So just before David Luiz hits the ball across field, um, I think, uh, was it to William who, uh, who, who picked out? Uh, it was Pedro. to Pedro. Pedro, yeah. Um, Steve McManaman just says, yeah, they should just try and lock it, knock it long a bit more. <laughs> and <laughs> as it happened, and then they scored. And I could feel through the television the smugness of Steve McManaman coming through. But yeah, I mean, it was, I, I think before the game, um, the pundits that, that were on BT were uh, Rio Ferdinand, Joe Cole and Nader Manua. And they, they all said that the way that City was set up, it would benefit Chelsea to, to play some longer balls and sort of test um, people like uh, Pedro and, and Hazard running in behind uh, the City back line. And I think until that point, um, Chelsea hadn't done it. But it worked immediately, and I think it, it stunned City to an extent, um, and, and and maybe um, maybe that's what more teams will do now when they play City. Uh, but I, I think after the, I mean, getting that second goal was obviously incredibly important for Chelsea. But after that, City didn't really create much. I think Gabriel Jesus came on and wasn't that impressive, or, or I can't remember, I don't know if he started, but he he wasn't super impressive for me. Um, and maybe, maybe City looked a bit lost um, and, and obviously I'm sure we'll get on to some of the stuff that ha- happened outside of the game and maybe that imp- impacted it as well but they didn't look as at the races as they had in previous games and I think maybe Ryan mentioned or, or it might have been Alan a couple of weeks ago how they seem to be getting performances but not particularly playing well now I don't, I don't think they particularly played well against Chelsea um, in terms of how we know they can and it, it, bit, it bit them on the arse and they lost that game but yeah, I think you have to give so much credit to the way Sari set his team up and, and performances from players like David Luiz, who I thought was absolutely exceptional. You mentioned that from here on out, teams are going to set up like that against City. And we've mentioned it before that it seems like City don't like to deal with the, the physical as much as, as other teams in the league. So do you see from here on out, especially during a, a, a festive period where managers tend to tinker with their squads, that City might pick up a few losses? Um, I, I think they'll probably immediately bounce back um, this weekend. Um, but I, th- I think, yeah, you're right. There's maybe teams that are going to City and were maybe trying to park the bus to only lose a couple of goals to nil um, may look at how they adri- how they attack City now. And, and maybe there's an opportunity um, to get at them a bit more. And maybe there's a bit more confidence around the league that they're not this um, unbeatable force, which I think is good for the Premier League. Um, but the, the only other thing is, I don't know if you saw the... There was a bit of controversy with um, some stuff which was picked off, uh, picked up off, off air from Rio Ferdinand and Joe Cole, who highlighted Kyle Walker as being a bit of a weakness. And he was definitely, I wouldn't say it was, it wasn't solely his fault, but he was caught out of position um, for the first goal and then recovered. But it, at that point, Chelsea had enough players forward to, to score um, with Kante, which is always satisfying, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I think... Maybe maybe teams can target players like Kyle Walker um, because he's such an attacking player and, and is so important going forward for them. You mentioned Kante. Chelsea scored with their first attack of the game. That was in the 45th minute. Yeah. not There, there couldn't be a nicer man to score, though. <laughs> I, when so when he scored, it sort of looked like he was looking for someone else to congratulate about the goal. <laughs> <laughs> but so, no, he's, he's such a great man. And... and I don't know. How, he hasn't scored many goals. I think he scored two for Chelsea this year. And did he get a couple last year? Tim, you might know better than I did. But 
I mean, so I, I think I think Man City fans might have been pleased that he popped up and got a goal as well. It was, <laughs> he's such a nice person. Yeah, you're right. If everyone to score against you, I think you'd probably pick Kante because he just feels so happy when he does. But um, yeah. yeah, he's. I think his highest goal tally for Chelsea has been about three. Yeah. Um, and I think this is his. This is his second or third this year. I think it's his second uh, this season. But um, sit down, Kante haters who said he should be dropped after the uh, Spurs and Wolves games. Yeah. You you can't drop that man. He's just playing no. into a new system. Mm, he's just playing. Yeah. That. That's that's all that that Siren. Look, at the end of the day, if he's already got two goals this season and his best is three, he's well on his way to to being fine in that system. So, yeah, no fair play to yeah. to him. I, I love we saw the start. defensive. Oh, sorry. Go on. I was going to say Tom mentioned the how happy he looked after he scored. Someone picked him up and he genuinely looked like the happiest man alive. <laughs> like someone like fully picked him up like a child and he was like the smile on his face was just contagious. He I is think... just like a puppy Labrador. Like that's <laughs> what he is. At the end of the game, I think they presented uh, David Louise um, with the, um, the Man of the Match award. Um, but Kanto was in the interview as well. And, and you do realise how small he is. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's so diminutive uh, and I think one of the funniest images at the World Cup was when he used, used to stand next to Stephen and Zonzi <laughs> who, who is, who, who is in, in himself a very, a very big bloke but Stephen Ngolo Kante just looks like his child <laughs> well that's literally what it was Stephen and Zonzi had to ask the other players for Kante to hold the World Cup trophy uh, because oh. he wouldn't do it himself that, that man just everything about him is great yeah He's, he's just, just very humble and, and a fantastic performance from Chelsea, who, like I said at the top of the show, end Manchester City's unbeaten record, which means Liverpool, who we're going to talk about in a couple of seconds, uh, are the only unbeaten team in the league. The only thing from that game that wasn't good from Chelsea was those absolute scumbags. I can only assume we all agree that that's an yeah. OK term to use for those gentlemen who racially abused Raheem Sterling. But fantastic work from Chelsea, who've instantly kicked them out and banned them from stadiums. I think Manchester City as well applauded that. And it has no place in football and no place in society. No, not at all. Brilliant. Let's move swiftly on to Liverpool, who, Tom, again, very very sorry that we're going to have to do this to you. Four, (laughs) Four nil winners over Bournemouth. It's not been the best of runs for Bournemouth with a lot of difficult games in there. But how did this one go? I'm not sure if you watched it. <laughs> yeah, I did watch it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, and the stat is we've lost five of our last six. Um, but when four of those teams are Man United, Arsenal, Man City and Liverpool, um, and then Newcastle's in there as well, it, it's not really, in my opinion, it's not a fair representation of how our season has mm. gone so far. But um, Liverpool, actually, in in terms of of all those four big big teams, I'm saying in commas, um, they they were by far the best team we've played. Um, the dominance of uh, of their midfield players, but also the ability of their defenders to just sniff out even half chances before they before we can even get anything going, was really impressive and. and yeah, it's. I'm not. I'm not. I've said before. I'm not Klopp's biggest fan, but um, I think it is very exciting for the league that there is. It is a two horse race, mm. and it very much looks like a two horse race now. And you could even argue Chelsea may be in there as well. Um, so yeah, I, I was. I was impressed with obviously Salah's hat trick was um, 
I would say aided by some pure shit performance by Steve Cook, um, <laughs> who, who, who I do have a lot of respect for. So, it, I mean, look, a lot, I think three of our back four played for us in League One. Um, they are going to make mistakes. And it was just unfortunate for Steve Cook that Gareth Southgate happened to be in the stands. So he's obviously never, <laughs> never getting an England team. Um, what a finish, though. Yeah, I mean, that, that was unlucky. But he also, I think for Salah's second goal, he gave the ball straight away to him and then deliberately tried to kick a foul in before he could score. Missed that as well. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I felt sorry for for Cook, but overall, we, we Callum Wilson didn't didn't play, had a hamstring injury, and obviously Adam Smith and Lewis Cook are out for long term, uh, a long term injury doubts now, and I think Lewis Cook's probably going to be out for the season, um, which probably just means there's going to be a bit of pressure on the midfielders, people like Andrew Sermon and Dan Gosling to step up to the mark for us, um, and maybe we'll have to go out into the market in, in January, which is not what Eddie prefers to to try and get a, a backup or, or a starting centre midfielder. You mentioned going into the market, a, a couple of things. And, and I know I was very overly aggressive on the running order, which you very put me in my place. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but if, if you're looking at someone to, to buy into the market, you mentioned obviously injuries there to mm. key midfield players. Did the match also highlight the need for another striker with Callum Wilson, obviously injured and your top scorer for the season and potentially a new goalkeeper? And yes, I know I'm being overly critical but hey ho I, I want to see what you think about it um I, I think striker probably probably not because I, I think King had a really had a really poor game um but I don't I don't think he's a number nine so he was I think he was probably being played out of position um and we've still got Lise Mousset and Jermaine Defoe on the bench so I don't think we need another striking option um I think goalkeeper I think we'd have to agree to disagree on this one because I, I, Begovic, especially early parts of this season, has has definitely won us points. He he does. I think I said to you, the, he, he there's there's a there's a, vo- a vortex around um, good keepers playing for mid level clubs, and that is mm. you can only be as good really as the defenders who they put in front of you. Now he, he makes mistakes, and he, he he made a couple of big mistakes last season. I remember against Arnautovic for for West Ham, where he just slipped over and gave him the ball right in front of the goal and he does put pressure on the defence now and again but I think we have to remember like I said he's, he plays in behind Charlie Daniels and Steve Cook and Simon Francis who I think there is a lot of big clubs will attack those players knowing mm. that they aren't of the quality uh, the way I also think about how goalkeepers work right? so if you assume that each Premier League team probably has three registered goalies right, and there's 20 teams in the league that means there's 60 probably if we exclude youth team players, 60 registered goalkeepers in the Premier League. Now, if you mm-hmm. compare that to defenders, and there's, let's say, roughly, let's, let's say there's between six and eight registered defenders. We'll go with eight for the purpose of it. Uh, 160 registered defenders in, in the Premier League. Now, if you think the 60th worst goalkeeper in the league versus the 60th worst defender in the league, I would imagine the 60th worst defender in the league is probably playing for Everton, uh, probably playing maybe for Watford or Leicester. Whereas the worst goalkeeper in the league is playing for, you know, Fulham. Yeah. So I think because there's a smaller pool of players, it's really easy to criticise um, some of these goalkeepers who who make mistakes because of the players in front of them. I don't always think it's fair. I think Begovic gets a lot of stick, but I think you mentioned that uh, Leno has a lot. Has Leno's made the second number, second most number of mistakes this season. So. Yes. 
yeah. think it's, it's a lot closer than people think it is. I don't think, I think David De Gea is probably, is, is the best goalkeeper in the league. Maybe Alisson and Aderson are probably close to him. But I don't think there's as much of a golf as there is in other positions in the league. So, yeah, how, how compare the 60th best defender versus the 60th best goal, goalie or the, or the worst defender in the Premier League versus the worst goalie. Yeah, and that's, that's a fair shout. I mean, since 2017-18, Begovic has been involved in the most errors leading directly to goals with eight. This season, he's top with three. And then it's everyone else's joint second or joint ninth. <laughs> so it it doesn't like Cedric. The rest of them are defenders, or Leno is also second. De Gea is on that list as well. He's joint ninth with a lot of other players. So yeah, I, I stats are are very um, they can be read very loads of ways. I think, yeah. and you can definitely bend them. Um, if we look at Liverpool, though, still unbeaten in the league, Tim playing some fantastic football. Salah looked back on it, scored a hat trick as well, and James Milner made his five hundredth appearance in the league. Do you think, I don't want to ask it because we were talking about City, but do you think they now are the, the front runners for the league? I think Liverpool is, this is probably the biggest chance they've ever got so far of winning a Premier League. I think their defensive improve, has improved massively from last year. And like we saw how closely they ran like City sometimes last year. Obviously City did run away with it, but like Liverpool beat them. And now with the defence as good as it is now with Van Dijk just proving that he's, you know, he's one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League. Gomez is playing superbly. I mean, shame that he's injured at the moment. And then Robertson and Alexander-Arnold as well. Uh, with Alisson behind them, like, that's already a fantastic defence, let alone, like, everything that's already going on in front of them. Um, Salah definitely looks better in that sort of, like, central centre-forward role. Um, I think he's played, like, 70% of his matches uh, as centre forward this season and has got a better scoring record uh, playing there as opposed to on the right. Uh, he does tend to play on the right more against the bigger teams um, and he is less effective. But like you saw him there at the weekend, he just he showed his pace uh, and he showed his skill. And you know, like his third goal where he sort of did the keeper twice and then poked it in the corner was like just outstanding. I think if you've got him leading your line, I think you know, you can beat anyone. So I just think Liverpool look like such a complete team now uh, that, you know, if they're going to win it, this is their year. What do you think the difference is from last year? You mentioned they look a complete team now. What What's revamped them? What's completed them? That defence is huge. Like, if you look at... So, obviously, Van Dijk missed... Well, he came in in January, didn't he? So he missed uh, the start of the season. Took a while to get going. Uh, Gomez wasn't playing regularly at all. Uh, Robertson was still doing well, and Alexander Alexander Arnold hadn't progressed as much as he has now. Uh, and then they didn't have Allison behind them. And I just think, I think uh, Allison's top on saves for this season uh, with mm-hmm. Edison behind him. Like the amount of points that wins you with someone like Minulay, who isn't a, like I, I don't want to say he's a bad keeper, but he just is nowhere near the level of Allison. And I think the saves that that you know that Allison brings wins you so many points and then with that defensive front as well I just think like Liverpool have conceded the least in this league um, so far and you know it's just huge because when you've got as an attacker if you've got a defence like that behind you you know that you you know you've got less defensive duty you can go forward more Uh, and especially with Salah playing up front I think like it's just a huge a huge thing for Liverpool he's got much more freedom uh, and much less tracking back to do and he wins them games 
Yeah, I, I mean, the stats as well, we, we're talking about stats for Bournemouth, but the stats speak for themselves in terms of Liverpool. Last season, they were 19th for their goalkeeper save ratio with only 64%. This season, they're first with 86%. They're, they're a fantastic team and, and at the moment, deservedly sit top of the Premier League unbeaten. Right after the break, we're going to mention West Ham, Crystal Palace, because West Ham did something for the first time in a long time. <laughs> um, and then after that, Unpopular Opinions is back. And we'll finish off with some more talking points. So see you in a bit. That's it! He's got the chance! He's done it! He is all over! If you're an MMA fan, be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast. We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news, and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store. Right, we're back, and as I said, let's go straight into some West Ham thing. Because, I know Alan isn't on the pod, but they've won three games in a row, and it's the first time in 18 matches that they've won a game since falling behind when they beat Palace 3-2. Who, who wants to rejoice on that? Tim, do you want to kick us off? I mean, to be honest, I haven't really paid a huge amount of attention to West Ham, but they're doing quite well. I mean, like, they're 11th in the league, and, you know, they're doing quite well. Uh, it's because Mark Noble's doing all the running for them. Uh, <laughs> but, like, they've got the players. We saw the, the, the people they brought in during the transfer window, and they're all making a, an impact. And the return of uh, Javier Hernandez has also been a huge uh, successful as well because he's another player that you know they don't have to rely on Arnautovic now to uh, sit up top and score them goals. Um, having been injured as well, they can they've got Chicharito who you know scores all of his goals from within three yards, but um, he's crucial for you know a team mid table that uh, need to find goals from somewhere. You know, he's doing a really good job for them, so they just need to keep plucking away. and I think. The more their players can develop, the better. And they've got a really good chance of moving up. 49 goals, I believe it is now, for Javier Hernandez in the Premier League. All of them inside the box. For Palace, Tom has two losses on the bounce. Is it, is it getting to the point now where Crystal Palace need to start looking over their shoulder? Because they're only three points off, well, two points off the relegation zone. Two losses in a row heading into a busy time of year. And Wilfred Zaha, I think you mentioned, is, is out for the next game. They need to start being a yeah, bit more careful. I think statistically they don't win without Wilfred Zaha in the team. So that's obviously going to be a worry for, uh, <laughs> for the weekend. I would, uh, I would say that their squad, I think their squad is better than, than maybe their position is, is showing at the moment. But they, look, it can happen to the best of teams. They had a terrible run at the beginning of last season and uh, Roy came in and, and did a really, really good job to, um, to get them out of that battle. But I mean, they're only, they're only three points off the bottom of the table and the, the way the league can work and like you said lots of games over Christmas if teams below them can pick up points and, and they don't pick up anything they can very very quickly be sucked into um, a difficult battle coming out into the new year things like games with the FA Cup as well starting in January as well so yeah I, I think they do need to be they do need to be concerned they, they, they've got enough good players I think to get out of this but they really really need to start picking up points now to at least relieve some of the stress that's going to happen uh, later in December I think it's, it's, I can't, it was either you or Ryan that mentioned that this time of year really separates managers out. Even like the newer managers coming into the league tend to, to struggle around Christmas with all the festive pile up. And, and it looks like even the more experienced managers are starting to struggle. What, what do you think about Roy Hodgson at Crystal Palace at the moment? Do, do you think that 
he might need to start being careful if if results keep going this I think way. He's probably in a position where they may already be looking at managers to replace him. Not not in a, as a serious threat at the moment because I think they they respect what he did last season. But in terms of contingency plan, there's always that uh, there's always that possibility. Uh, I think he's good enough to, to to manage this team, and I think maybe the players need to step up. I think aside from Zaha up front, they look bereft of goals, and Sorloff hasn't really done it yet. And, Obviously, ben, Benteke seems to be a, a bit of an, an enigma since he's um, moved down to South London. Um, but I, I hope for his sake, because I, I do like him as a manager, and I hope he really can get them firing. Well, Pellegrini seems to have gotten West Ham firing, as I mentioned. Three wins on the bounce. Felipe Anderson scored five goals in his last six games. So he's clearly got him firing. Mentioned the likes of Javier Hernandez as well. Robert Snodgrass, a man who, I'm not sure if you saw the interview when he signed for the club, uh, and then uh, Slavan Bilic left. He admitted that Slavan Bilic asked him where he played when he brought him on for the first time. But he got his first Premier League goal for West Ham, um, which was a really good finish in the end. So fair play to West Ham. They're scoring goals. Three ones on the bounce, up to 11th. All, all is good would in you like that a, part. Would you like a funny Robert Snodgrass story? Please. Oh, always. So when he was at Aston Villa, there was a lot of criticism of him because he, was, he didn't look particularly uh, healthy. I think he was quite a bit overweight. And his excuse was because he used, to, he used to still live in Essex and commute to Birmingham every day for training. And he said there wasn't much nutritional food in service stations on the way there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he looks so fit now. Essex to, uh, Essex to uh, the London Stadium isn't too far. <laughs> Do you imagine like just the nutritionist that at the club, just going, just make food before you leave. Must Mike, eat Pringles Mike, and burgers. <laughs> microwave burgers just aren't doing it for you, right? <laughs> oh, microwave burgers. That already brings a bad taste to my mouth. Right, I'll tell you what will probably bring a bad taste to some people's mouths. Unpopular opinion is back. I'm, I, I get really quiet, but I'll tell you something. Honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How wrong is the game? Well, it's your opinion. You know, again, it's a game of opinions. It's, and you've got a right to your opinion, but I've also got a right to my opinion. Who wants to kick us off with this? I know there's a couple on the running order. Something that I've done before with, with, uh, with other people, which it always gets, it's, it's, you always get a completely different reaction. So I, I wanted to see what, what both of you thought. Uh, so the question is, if you were to uh, sign for a Premier League football team, uh, so let's say it's probably it doesn't have we don't have to name the team but let's say it's, it's someone in the top six, and you start up front every single game for the rest of the season. So that's cup, that's league, Europe if they're in Europe, and you do that for the rest of your career until you get to the age of let's say thirty four, and you are your current ability, but you you give up your job or, or you, you stop going to uni. And you can train every single day like a professional footballer. You do everything like a professional footballer. Your diet, everything like that. So what I want to know, with all of those things included, and you're playing every single game, 90 minutes every game, how many goals, on average, would you score a season? About two, and one of them would be an own goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I probably was going to say the odd one, the lucky one goal. So the, maybe. The, the correct answer is... You'd score absolutely no goals. <laughs> so I, the the re, only reason I ask this question is I, I've asked people, and people are so confident in themselves. They're like, oh, you'll probably get like 12. 
was like, no, Morata no, scored 12 off. like last season. Morata is worse than everybody that is going to be asking this question to. <laughs> but I guess I guess the, the <laughs> argument is that you play every minute. But people are so so. You know, there's the Klaasian Huntelaar argument where he probably isn't tech. Well, I mean, technically he's good, but he's not athletically super impressive as a footballer. But his ability to be in the right place at the right time. And I think everyone has this assumption mm. that that's that's them as a footballer. Like, oh yeah, I'm not I'm not like, I'm not like Gabby Agbonlahor in his prime or anything like that. But I'm always <laughs> in the right position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I I, I agree with yeah. you. I would score. You'd score maybe the odd fluke where it just hits hits you and goes in, but uh, no more than that. Yeah, I think anyone <laughs> saying more than one or two is either very very mm. confident of themselves or is a, like a Premier League footballer already and just disguised <laughs> well, as I mean, someone else. I don't think League Two footballers <laughs> would score any goals in the Premier League. I mean, maybe they would. I mean, in fairness, it probably undermines them if they're playing every single minute. But like, it's so it's so difficult. <laughs> Yeah, you look at players like okay, Avaro Morata is a, is a decent example, but he scored twelve. But you look at like the season, like Divock mm. Origi, um, like he scored like what mm. one or two goals, and and it's like he's still a very good footballer. He scored at a World Cup. <laughs> you look at um, El Hadjouf, for example, the only Liverpool number nine in history to go an entire season without scoring a goal. And you're saying, am I better than El Hadjouf? <laughs> am I fuck? I'm just spit at people. <laughs> I think you have to have sort of like Peter Crouch attributes and either be seven foot tall or be Adiak and Fenwer and just massive to have something that like that the Premier League strikers don't have and that might grab you a couple. But like, you're never going to think, oh, I, I could probably be as good as Aguero, just maybe not quite as fast. Like, it's not, not going to happen. I reckon though, to play sort of devil's advocate, if, if I played for Manchester City and I was one of the wingers... And, long, and as long as I was the winger doing the tapping, I reckon I'd get that five. Because, and, and that's, that's not me being arrogant. City literally creates yeah. such good chances yeah. that Sterling, Sane just have to literally just roll the ball into an so, empty net sometimes. So I reckon occasionally I'd have enough energy to get into The that argument position. that was made to me was that, well, if you start every game, you could potentially take uh, penalties. Which, but the, okay. the thing with penalties, though, is it's another thing which is horrifically underrated is players have to hit the, the, the it's not appreciated how hard they hit the penalty that's that's why when mm. when it goes wrong and they miss it looks so bad because they're hitting it so hard but it's very very rarely yeah. I mean, that hazard is probably the exception and, and there are obviously other like obviously the penenka penalty by perlo and stuff like that but it's actually really rare to see a player tap it and wait for the goalie to commit because if you don't hit it with enough power mm. There's enough distance between the goal. The goalie can wait and and react after you've like actually indicated the direction you're going. So I'd also confident I'd miss every single penalty. <laughs> I just offer the I just offer the keeper a microwave hamburger and then <laughs> the Robert Snodgrass approach. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that though. I, f- I feel like we were all very uh. Very yeah, I'm pleased. I'm pleased no one claimed that they could be like in with in the shout of the golden boots. <laughs> <laughs> One behind Harry Kane. Damn it. <laughs> uh, um, right, I've got one. I don't know how unpopular this one's going to be, to be honest, but feel, feel free to go for it. Um, I think that, and I had to bite my tongue earlier when you said it was a two-horse race, I genuinely think Spurs can win the Premier League this season. <laughs> Not a chance. Please, pl- please feel free to tell me what, why I'm wrong. Just No. Like, I think 
what... against the quality that Liverpool and City have, I just don't think Spurs can live up. Like, admittedly, they'll probably finish above Chelsea, which is quite a painful thing to say. But like, yeah, you're you're very wrong. They're not going <laughs> to compete with Liverpool or City. Like, they are so often carried uh, by either Kane or by one of their players, like uh, I don't know Ericsson or Son, occasionally. Um, and like, admittedly, they are really good. Like, they have great performances, but I just don't think they've got the consistency. Uh, and an all-round team to be able to to win the Premier League, especially this season. Like, I don't think they'll do it for a while. Um, I think they need a few changes in the club itself uh, to be able to bring star players in. Um, like, I admit, I think they'll get top four quite easily, but I just I just don't see them at all winning the Premier League this season. Okay, that's a fair shout. So, what if I put to you that if you look at Spurs' next sort of seven or eight fixtures, they play in the Premier League, I'm talking not elsewhere, because obviously they've got Barcelona and Arsenal in various cup competitions, but they play Burnley at home, Bournemouth at home, Wolves at home. They're away to Cardiff. They're away to Fulham. They're away to Everton. I think teams that can attack them, like Bournemouth or Wolves, can generally pose a big threat to Tottenham. Because I think if you go at the defence... I think they will really struggle to to get out and to attack you. Like they will obviously have chances, and with Kane playing, you know, you get him the ball and he's so likely to score. But I think if you go at um, if you go at the defense, and I think Bournemouth has showed this earlier on in the season that like if they are playing the way they have done with quick players, quick football, I think you can genuinely you can really get out Tottenham and nullify their attack by going out their defense. Fair enough, Tom. Um, so. Uh, just quickly to pick up on, th- on that point, although I appreciate the praise for Bournemouth, Tim, um, they absolutely <laughs> smash us every season. Um, so we, I think we've we've got one point off of them since we've gone in the Premier League. So um, yeah, so teams like Bournemouth. Yeah, 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 teams like Bournemouth, but definitely not Bournemouth. <laughs> um, I think, yeah. The, the reason they do that, though, is because they are the team that we want to be. Like, we try and play like Spurs do, but they're just a better version of us. So they, as a result, just everything is better. So they can combat us really easily. Um, so I think this is the best Spurs team that I can remember in recent memory anyway. I think in terms of, I agree that, that they are, they are very, they've got a good run. And I think that they are an improved team. Um, since may- maybe even last season, I think Harry Winks has actually improved them quite a lot. I think that, and, and I would be interested, and obviously Ryan's not here, but I'd be interested to see what his, his opinion is, on this is. I think Spurs' problem is that actually, even though we've sort of flagged those games as the games they could they can do really well in, I think those are the teams, like Tim said, that they struggle against. And then they do, they do drop points against the teams that we expect them to beat. And mm-hmm. they usually play okay in, in the bigger games. I mean, obviously there's there's exceptions, but they they can turn in big performances as well. I just think that the competition in the league is is way too high. Um, I think if this if City if you took if you took away City and obviously this is a hypothetical which is almost irrelevant. If you took away City, then I I do think it probably would be between Spurs and Liverpool. Um, I don't I think the gap between Spurs and Liverpool is smaller than the gap between Liverpool and Man City. Mm-hmm. But I just I, I can't see I can't I just can't see them competing. I just, I, I, they're so far away from City, <laughs> and that's through almost no fault of their own that they they've they've turned Harry Kane into probably one of the top well, top one of the top ten players in the world in terms of Ballon d'Or, maybe one of the best strikers in the world. 
Deli Ali looks incredible. I think Ericsson's fantastic son, who who's had an absolutely great season. What look what happens when you don't have to go to war. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think they 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 their ability to get the best out of players is, is really really impressive, and they don't seem to make that many flop signings either. I mean, <laughs> Musa Sissoko, everyone sort of deal, dealt that as a flop before he even signed, and I think he's actually been quite impressive. Um, but I just I can't see them. It would it would be really really good if they did, but I just can't see them getting anywhere near Man City. Yeah, against Arsenal as well, though, like Arsenal with the pace in their attack did cause some serious issues and. Um, I think I think you're right. I think this is the best Tottenham side we've seen, and I think when they all play together, like Ali, Eriksson, Cade, Son, I think they are genuinely really, really good. Like mm. if they all click, but um, give, it, give it a couple of years and maybe, but um, then it maybe won't be so unpopular. I tell you, people, wait till the end of the season. Well, I'm fair enough. Watch them, watch them come six. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, they definitely won't come six. Above United, that's fine. <laughs> right. Of course, we end all of our episodes with some talking points from the week's football. The funny, the angry, the whatever emotion you want to find out. Who wants to kick us off on this one? Because uh, there's a few on the running order that are quite good. At the AS Monaco press conference, um, <laughs> where it was Thierry Henry and I forget the other player's name. And I don't think, even if I could remember, I could pronounce it properly. Um, they sort of they got up. Both of them left. Thierry Henry stood up, tucked his chair in, and the player didn't. He walked off, and Thierry Henry just stood there with his hand on the chair, giving him the worst stare I've ever seen in, like, a public press conference. And he did, the guy just turned around and, just, like, sort of got into a little ball corner, put the chair in, and then walked off again. And, like, the, the sort of, the like, manners that Thierry must be trying to instill in these play- in Monaco players is ridiculous if he death stares someone for not tucking a chair in at a press conference. <laughs> Fair, fair play to him. <laughs> he gave me the, exactly the same stare that my mum used to give me, like when we were like family gatherings, and I didn't tuck a chair in. But I thought you said that Thierry Henry was like your father or something at that point. Like bloody. he gave me the same stare my mum gave. Yeah, like yeah, that would be an interesting story. Yeah, no offense, Dad, but I'd love Thierry Henry. <laughs> as, as a uh, Tom, what have you got for us? Uh, so the first one is, is only a, a, a summation of what's going on with with PSG. They seem to be in a relative crisis at the moment. They've drawn their last two games, and um, and they obviously had their game against Montpellier postponed at the weekend due to the protests that are going on in Paris at the moment. Uh, but it, it, it's it's amazing that that I've looked at a lot of stuff on uh, sites like Bleacher Report and ESPN, and there's like a genuine concern <laughs> about them. Like they, they've won every game except two. It's like, oh no, well this is it. This is the, this is the end of the end of the. Like the Arabs are going to Arabs are going to get tired of it. and They're going to pull all their money out. It's like I don't I don't, I don't think they care that much really. But um, yeah, that, that'd be one to watch. The, the only other thing I was, I saw was Sol Campbell had a, a, an unfortunate stat, and this is obviously the, the weekly analysis of Sol Campbell's performances. Um, so Macclesfield lost in the what used to be the Johnson Paint Trophy. I can't know. It's the trophy that under 21s can play in now. Check a tra- um, is it check a trade trophy? Check a trade trophy. So Macclesfield <laughs> lost on penalties. And it's the unfortunate stat that that's the first penalty shootout that Macclesfield have ever lost. Oh. Um, so I'd also like to comment, I, I may have made some, some mistakes previously with Macclesfield. So unfortunately, I didn't realise, even though Sol Campbell had been confirmed as Macclesfield manager when we previously spoke about his exploits, the previous two wins that he recorded, they don't count for him. He wasn't apparently active manager <laughs> at the time. 
So he's now stomped into what can only be uh, an un- unanticipated stack statistical decline, where he's the first manager to go from a hundred percent record to a zero percent record overnight. Oh, that is to be proud of. But yeah, I will continue to keep you updated on how uh, Macclesfield are performing. Right, the couple of ones that I had, um, I'll start it off with something a little bit stupid. Uh, I don't know if you saw, Serie A had some crazy results this weekend. Uh, including uh, Ricardo Saponara scored a 99th minute equaliser against Lazio. The funny thing about it was, obviously, you score a 99th minute equaliser, you run off to celebrate with the fans. He took his shirt off, ran up to the fans that were in like the sort of raised area, and they proceeded to remove the rest of his clothes. <laughs> and, and so he's just, you can find it on Twitter, uh, he's just pictured, just suspended. Like on this, like on this rail, and he's got no shirt on, and someone's yanked down his pants, so you can just see his ass. <laughs> and I think the best picture is the midway between someone yanking his pants down because it's just an arm that's grabbing his underwear and just yanking it down. <laughs> it's just uh, it, with the hand just like up his arm. Pretty much, it's it, first picture that. Uh, I am unsure if he got booked for that or not. I, I cannot confirm if. Uh... <laughs> yeah, technically he didn't remove any clothes, so it's fine. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to mention, which was uh, brought up by Alan, actually, who's not on the pod this week, but he brought it up retrospectively because he keeps up to date with all Alans across the world, especially, <laughs> especially when they have uh, relations to West Ham. Alan Pardew, apparently is being linked to the Atlanta United job who have just won the MLS Cup because their manager has decided to step down. What do we think of that? <laughs> so I'm still looking at the Ricardo Safanara pictures. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Um, why would you step down after winning trophy? I mean, unless you just like had enough of management or you thought you could do better than the MLS, like, why would you step down? There's quite a few levels that are better than the MLS, in fairness. That is true. Yeah. yeah League two, you might be... <laughs> Macclesfield <laughs> might need a manager soon. Checkers trade trophy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think some... I don't, I don't really know. I, I've not seen many managers move across from the MLS. I don't know how easy it is, but... And I don't, also don't know what the pay's like over there, but I have seen a few managers who have retired after winning trophies... Hmm. Um, so, so maybe, maybe it is with a view to getting a job in Europe or I, I, I have a feeling that the US men's national team doesn't have a manager at the moment either Ooh. Maybe, he's, maybe he's taken that but anyway good, good for them I don't know if you saw the photos of the stadium actually um, in the Atlanta game hmm. but it was it was something like 70,000 people and it was absolutely packed so um, it's good that the, the sport does appear to be taking off in the United States as well because I think there's a huge opportunity for growth in that in those leagues, um, especially with stars, obviously in the past who have played there, like Gerard and, and Lampard and Beckham and people like that. Yeah, the thing that makes it even more fairy tale esque is the fact that Atlanta United weren't even a club two years ago, mm. and and just it just shows how like football has gone across. It's it's not a like just for the elite sort of thing. Yeah, it has gone into MLS, and it's really good to see a new club win it and Josef Martinez I would be surprised if he is still in the MLS because he just broke record after record mm. this season and he did play for Torino at one point but 
Ah, oh, the MLS. What a time to be alive. Right, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. As always, we'll be back at the end of the week with a preview to the Premier League and maybe some recap of what's happened with the fallout of the Champions League over the next couple of days. But for me, it's goodbye. Tim, see you later. Follow us on Twitter. Tom, see you later. Yeah, see you later, mate. <laughs> Bye. Bye.